Are we feeling good? I hope so, because this, this is a hard message. So prepare, soften your hearts. It's for every single person in this room, it's, uh, whether you're a young little pup, if you're a high school student, if you're a young adult, an adult. This is quite a challenging message. Um, I have been in it all week, so I've been, <laughs> so it's been very challenging. But I'm just going to get into it. So I am continuing the Let series. Um, if you haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, Pastor John has been noticing. Pastor John's our lead pastor, who's just not here this weekend. He's been noticing these verses that keep saying "Let us" in Scripture. And so these things that we should be doing, these things that we, are, we should be allowing to be seen and reflected in our lives. So the very first week, Pastor John talked about, it was in Colossians 3.15, and he talked about letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that's the very first message. And then last weekend, Pastor Jordan continued in that actual same area, continuing with the other verses. He talked about worship. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, uh, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that's where we're at. So, we continue with message number three, which is also found in Colossians. They're not all going to be in Colossians, it's just these ones happen to be. So, we're looking at Colossians 4, 6 today, just one verse. I'm going to begin with reading it in a few versions first. Sometimes when you look at the different versions that are out there, it can offer a different perspective, or not really a perspective, but just using different words to help you understand the verse. So I'm going to start by doing that. So an ESV, which I am preaching from today, is let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And then in the message, be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them down. In the expanded Bible, when you talk, you should always be kind, gracious, and pleasant, winsome, engaging, or wholesome, seasoned with salt, so you'll be able to answer everyone in the way that you should. The easy-to-read version, when you talk, you should always be kind and wise. Then you will be able to answer everyone in the way that you should. Then the last version that I have up there, NLT, let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So they say the average human speaks 7,000 words per day. Now that's really an average because many people don't speak that many, and tonight I'll probably speak that alone. So it's just an average that's out there. But 7,000 words is a lot. And you also communicate as a human, non-verbally as well. In fact, es experts estimate that 7% of our communication is the words itself. So that means 93% of what we say each day is our body language and our tone. That's how we're communicating. Which really puts us at a disadvantage these days, right? In the day of comments and text messages, because you sometimes don't know when you're not at face value what's trying to be communicated. And so we have to realize that this is an incredible power that we have. 
And if you add all it up, you add up all the talking about the ways that you talk through your communication, the way that you talk through your body language, your tone, your facial expressions, and then the way you present yourself to the world, and then you take those words themselves, there's a lot. It's a lot. We have a lot there on the table, and our words are weighty. Words are weighty. In fact, they're so weighty that they should become more weighty to you today. In fact, they're so weighty, this should really sober you up when I tell you this next thing. <laughs> Out of those 7,000 words, on average, that you will speak in a given day, all the communication that comes through your thumbs and through the phone and through your fingers, through email, the Bible says that we will give an account for every idle word that's spoken. Like, that's weighty, right? God wants you to understand that your words are weighty. Your words, they matter. That at one point in your life as you stand before God and give an account of your words. In Matthew 12, 36, it says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Now, I'm going to be clear, there's only one way to get into heaven, and that's trusting God's Son. Because Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth and the light, right? Anyone who comes except through me, right? Yeah. So you can't earn your way into heaven. But the Bible does say that his sons and his daughters, they will live in a way, the way that they live their lives, does have an impact on our reward in heaven. So a part of that is going to be us giving an account for the words that we speak. God wants you to understand your words are weighty, your words matter. Some of us sitting in this room have major, major impact on our community and our families and our friends and have voices in our community, whether it's on TVs or radios or social media. You have to understand that your words are weighty. So there are a couple ways that I want you to realize, which I'm sure you're well aware of, that your words are weighty. First, your words impact other people. Know this about your words. How you choose to use them, your allotment, your 7,000 per day, those impact people. You might say to yourself, oh, no, it's not a big deal. I just mess around. I didn't mean that. No offense. You know, you just ripped into somebody just for the fun of it, right? Maybe it was a joke. Maybe you just totally are mocking somebody. And I think that we're such a sarcastic mock mocking culture that we can be really quick to kind of make it okay and feel comfortable with tearing people down. And when we feel that we're not at ease and you need to like insert yourself into a moment or into humor or into a conversation, the easiest way, the cheapest way to do that is at somebody else's expense. To try to be funny, to try to join in. But let me tell you, there is actually a better way. You could bless somebody. You could encourage someone. You could build someone up. You could give them a compliment. That's the kind of person that's in demand. You can notice someone else. See, we're all guilty of it, myself included, but your words are no joke. They impact other people, good and bad. You don't get to just scrub them away and say, ah, I didn't mean it, it doesn't matter. 
but you said it. You said it out loud, and it impacted the people that heard it. And the text message that went out, or the emails that go out, and you copied everybody in, and you berated them and made fun of that person, or whatever it was, hung them out to dry, threw them under the bus. Let me just tell you something. Your words, they impact those people. Ephesians 4.29 says, Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word is a gift. So ask yourself this question before you're about to speak to somebody. Is this word a gift? We know what it feels like to receive this beautiful, well-wrapped package, a present at Christmas time with our name on it. When you open your mouth to speak, let other people feel like that. Let your family feel like you just handed them a gift, that they just received a present. In Proverbs 18.21, it says, words kill. Words give life. They either poison or fruit. Then he says, you choose. Every time you talk, you're choosing to spit venom or you're choosing to give a gift and something that can bring life. And in the verse that we're going to talk about, it even says, every word you speak to be drenched with grace. Let it be drenched with grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. Because if your rationale is, I'm mean, but you don't even know what that person has done to me, they're a way bigger jerk than me. Grace is something someone doesn't deserve. So let the way you speak drench them with something that they absolutely don't deserve. Something that they're unwilling to give you. Something that they probably actually desperately need. And that's why they're acting the way that they're acting. Let your words be drenched with grace. Now, I want to say, though, there will be a time, many times in life, that you will have to have difficult or different conversations. That doesn't mean that everything is unicorns and rainbows, right? There is a time to tell somebody, hey, you were rude, and that was mean, and you hurt my feelings. Seeking reconciliation with that person. There's a time to say, I love you so much, but just between the two of us, there's something going on here. Something's holding you back. I'm not saying that there's not a time for that. But God has called us to use our words in a way that build people up and not tear them down. I just wonder if God has not given us a tongue so that we might encourage each other towards good work, to be good people. Because it's a hard world, and there are a lot of people going through a lot of difficult stuff. And listen to me, God loves those people in your life so much that he put you in their life. He gave you that tongue so that you could be better off, they could be better off because of the way you speak to those people, the way that you represent him. And I got to thinking about this, which I'm sure all of us can relate to this. I would think it would be impossible for no one not to. Um, but there have been many words given to me in my life that have stuck with me for my life. Some that were very kind and very encouraging. Some that weren't so kind. 
and words that even maybe weren't even intended to be super mean, but they've stuck with me. Or how they've treated me, how certain people treat me when they see me. Some are, yes, from the past and long ago. Some are from not that long ago. Some are from family and some are from people that are right here in this church. So when I say our words are weighty, it is true. Your words impact people. I also want to add that your words impact you. So yes, they affect other people. They definitely affect the future. But these words that are coming out of your mouth are changing you. And the danger of speaking death and not life is not just for your children. It's not just your coworkers who are going to suffer. It's not just the people at the receiving end of whatever salty comment that you have or whatever critical tweet or text or harsh word that you have to say. It's also that as they come out of your mouth or typed out of your fingers, they're changing you in the process, impacting you in the process. Well, why is that? Well, practically speaking, the person you speak to the most is yourself. They say that the majority of talk is self-talk, is this external self-talk, your internal dialogue. And if you actually added up those words that you speak every day, a lot of it is just muttering and grumbling and talking. So some examples. This has happened to me far too many times in the past, but I get out of bed, it's dark, I'm tired, I step on my children's Lego, it's the most painful thing that you can ever experience in your entire life. And I think, this has just ruined my day. What is my children's problem? James and George, I am so mad, I am going to ground you when you get up. This is all my internal dialogue. I'm not actually saying it out loud. We just kind of mutter it, right? You complain to yourself. Or you mutter to yourself as somebody that you don't like walks into the room. Just to yourself, though. You mutter to yourself, maybe today, when you found out that I was preaching over Pastor John, and you just mutter to yourself. We just kind of talk and talk and talk and talk to ourselves, right? And we go through things and kind of say things to ourselves, and we speak to ourselves these negative things. It really does affect and change you. So maybe it's not about other people that you're muttering about, but maybe it's yourself. We are the worst to ourselves. We think and say horrible things about ourselves that other people probably wouldn't say. A few years ago, this really, really was opened up to me. I was speaking words in my head coming from very negative thoughts that I was thinking, and I had this turning point. I was in my kitchen and I was washing dishes, complaining in my head all to myself, wondering and even confirming why people treat me the way that they do. My friend texted me as this was happening, so I just let her have it. I told her exactly what I thought about myself that day. She listened. And she said one thing that has stuck with me and my household ever since. Don't talk about my friend that way. It hit. 
I was like, yes, like whose side are you even on, right? Because I started listening to this and thinking I was the worst and I was bad and this was terrible and I wasn't good enough. Whose side was I on? And I decided to fire myself as a personal critic because I have enough critics and rehire myself two seconds later as my own coach. And see, there's a big difference between a critic and a coach. And listen clearly because this will help you as well as those that you interact with. A critic, they just sit there on the sidelines and say, bad job. I don't like her. They have nothing invested. They don't care if I win or I lose. A critic just says bad. They just pass judgment. Whereas a coach cares very much about the outcome. A coach has skin in the game, blood and sweat and tears on the line. A coach is saying, come on, you can do better. Yeah, sure, that was a mistake. You got down, you got knocked down. No big deal, come back up. Remember your training, stick to the plan, stand firm, you've got this. Give yourself some grace. And my life has been a lot different having myself, my coach, in my corner, and then treating others that way as well. But I bring it up because I want you to remember that it's important to speak life into yourself as well. Not just other people. Because Jesus died for you too. He loves you. You're his prize. He cares about you. You're the apple of his eye. He has plans for you. He's got his name written on the palm of his hand. So don't go speaking about people who are written on Jesus' hand. Okay, so enough about words. I think I've proved that they're weighty. So we're going to get right into the scripture now. So Colossians 4, 6. So Paul is writing this letter to Colossae, to the Christians, and it starts in the very beginning with him um, displaying Jesus' beauty and supremacy, um, that Jesus is enough, that in knowing that Jesus is enough, that we're going to put on this new self, he writes how this should look in the life of the church, in our relationships, how this reality of who Jesus is, how it should affect the way that we live, and how we should interact with the family of God and with one another. Then in this portion that we're looking at today, he's also talking about how we interact with people who aren't believers, who he calls outsiders. So let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, there are many really good and helpful resources in the world. Like, I love a good resource, I love a good book. And there's so many different approaches in training and learning. Ways in, in which you can share the gospel story with people. Different apologetics, techniques, different ways to articulate defenses of the faith. So much stuff. And so much really, really helpful stuff. And I don't want to discredit any of that in any way. But that is not what Paul's focus is in this message. He isn't focused here on the content of the message but the manner in which we communicate it. The words that we choose really do matter. 
Now, I imagine none of us, well, I hope not anyways, these well-meaning Christians that end up looking like we're just beating everybody over the head with a Bible. I don't think any of us want to be that person. So what easily happens for many of us is we just decide, I'm just not going to say anything. It's just best not to say anything. Or if they ask me like a bunch of times, then maybe I'll tell them why. We don't want to be super open about it. But the reality is we are called to be a gospel voice. But look how Paul says our words are supposed to be. He says, let your words always be gracious. Always be gracious. The problem is, so often, our words are not so gracious. So it's not necessarily the content, it's the manner in which the content is delivered. And this can be really, really tricky. And here's why. Because gracious words begin at the heart. And our heart is messed up most of the time. So what we need to do is ask ourselves when we are engaging with everyone, both believers and non-believers, what I'm speaking right now, is it out of a heart that's found in Christ? Or is it out of a heart of self-righteousness, out of pride? Wouldn't that be an interesting metric in which we would start to analyze our conversations, right? So easily it can be, I just want to show them how smart I am, how funny I am, prove myself, and we justify it like 10 times over. But here's the point. No one has ever been won to Christ because they lost an argument. You're not going to shame somebody into Jesus Christ. It's probably not going to work very well. Because proving someone wrong is not the point of the gospel. The gospel convicts already. The gospel already reveals the truth that we need a savior. But we need to be pointing people to is not how broken we are, but how loved we are by God. That in him and through him, Christ has rescued us from our rebellion. And in that, into this covenant, this family of God. And that is what changes everything. So our words matter. Proving someone wrong is not meant to be the motivation or the goal. And I know many of you think it is, but it's not. Our motivation, our intention, our word selection, our delivery, all need to flow out of a heart of love and graciousness to the other person, whoever it is you're talking to. And I'm very well that in a room this size, well, any size for that matter, there's going to be diversity, a beautiful diversity of personalities and types and beliefs and backgrounds and everything, all kinds of stuff that make this uniqueness of who you are. But speaking graciously is not an option. Oh, well, I'm just a little rough around the edges, you know. That's no excuse. It says, speak with graciousness. Well, how often? Let your speech always be gracious. And in this day and age, this isn't limited to your verbal words. Dare I say that it influences social media, TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, tweeting, retweeting. I don't even know. I don't use Twitter. But <laughs> whatever. What you're commenting on somebody else, you know, those times you're commenting on somebody else's comment that you really, really, really disagree with. 
Are you typing angrily out of this heart of graciousness? Let your words always be gracious. Let your retweets always be gracious. Let the way that you talk to your family members or your friends always be gracious. Now, if that's not convicting to you, I've been sitting with this portion all week. And let me tell you, it's been wrecking me. I don't do this well. And God's been revealing so much about my heart in this. What it means to have this heart of Christ. A heart of Christ is this loving, gracious heart. And I don't want you to think, because of the context and the background, that maybe it was easier for Paul and his culture. Because there's a few facts I want to point out of what's going on in Colossians at that time. True, Paul wasn't able to TikTok and to tweet, for sure. But they did have a culture that worshipped a tyrant um, empire and a government that ruled by fear. And a culture that was suspicious of anything different. Putting Christians on the outside of it all. Giving them plenty of reason to have lots of ungracious thoughts and actions and attitudes as their fellow believers would be getting carted off to their execution or to imprisonment. So ungracious talk, probably pretty easy to come by in that context. Not so different than ours. But we have this opportunity to speak with graciousness. It is possible to have a conversation with somebody that you disagree with. And still be gracious and kind. I promise. It's possible. It's a lot harder for sure. But it's possible. And what I know that is really cool about it when it happens. Is it reflects the heart of Jesus when you do it. So let's keep going. Let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. This was a really common saying in the ancient world. Salt had two major components, and you've probably heard this a million times. You've probably heard it from me. Because I did a salt in the light sermon once. But salt, back then, had a preserving element in it so that you could preserve meat and other things for an extended period of time until the beauty of the fridge was invented. So we may not use salt much like that anymore, but we still like using salt. I'd imagine many of us like using salt because it's flavorful, right? It adds a little more color to your dish. Maybe it makes it more enjoyable for you. And Paul is saying that with our words, we should do the same. They should be winsome words, creative, colorful, life-preserving words. They should be seasoned with salt. And I will also go ahead and state that they don't need to be caked in salt. Too much salt isn't a good thing. In other words, don't show off, don't make them feel bad, don't try to win the argument. Meet that person where they're at and make it incredible. And we're going to talk about in a moment here how Jesus did that. But I'm going to continue first. So season your words with salt. And then finally, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, if you feel a little pressure uh, by that verse to have to be able to answer all questions, 
Like now all of a sudden you need to leave here and get a book on how to understand the Bible and Jesus and everything about culture and everything about politics and everything about the world just so you be able to handle those types of conversations so they can be gracious and seasoned with salt, ready to answer everybody. You don't need to do that. Although I do want to encourage you to never stop learning, to always have a heart of a student, always desire to discover more about the scriptures to desire more about Jesus and who he is and what he wants in your lives, for sure. But can I be bold enough to suggest that in our culture of everybody faking expertise, that a solid answer can oftentimes be, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Would you like to journey with me to find out? See, that doesn't come natural. Like how many times has someone actually said that to you? How many times have you actually said that to somebody else? How many times have you not known the answer and gave one anyways? <laughs> Everyone, okay? Especially if you have children. See, what we are called to do is alter the manner in which we speak. He's not telling you that you have to know every single thing. And when we do that, when we're willing to say, I don't know, but I want to explore this with you, what that says is you're a person who's been marked by the Spirit of Christ, which is humble. You see, humility never, ever, ever goes out of style. Primarily because it's never, ever, ever, ever in the history of humanity been in style. Pride is always in fashion. But there's one culture in which humility is always in style, and that's in the kingdom of God. And we're called to bring the kingdom of God into our world today. Within the people that are in our sphere right now, we are called to speak out of that kind of humility. And what's cool about that is it also gives us an opportunity to do what this verse is talking about which is communicate in a personal matter. Read it again. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is not about the fact that you have some standard written answer for every question. That you'd be able to recite the right resources for every question that's asked. But instead that you'd be willing to listen to the other person to how the Spirit of God may be leading you in that conversation right now. Utilizing for sure your knowledge and the resources and the ways that you've communicated in the past, but doing it uniquely to fit that person that's right in front of you. And this leads me to this part. Have you ever dreamed about being countercultural? Because I do. You should try this. Be understanding of others and their views before trying to be understood yourself. Seek to understand before being understood. And as we engage with others, we're able to communicate personally and specifically to each person. And Paul's desire would be that we did exactly that, that we'd be able to answer each person, each person uniquely. And I would use three metrics. Are we speaking graciously, winsomely, and personally? Can you say that's how you're speaking, that 
uh, in your break room at work? Would that mark your conversations at the workplace, in your home, in your friend circle? Now, if we do want to see a perfect demonstration of this, of what it means to walk as a gospel presence and talk as a gospel voice, I would encourage you not to look at one another. Because none of us have got it right. We are all going to be doing this imperfectly. But there is one who did. See, Jesus is this ultimate demonstration of what it means to be the gospel presence, and he also offers us the best vantage point of what it looks like to be a gospel voice. So there's one last place I'm taking you in scripture today. It's in John chapter 4, and this story is the greatest story, with Jesus and a woman at the well in the land of Samaria. Now, Jesus intentionally went out of his way to be in this place on this day. He's there at the hottest part of the day where nobody would dare go get water if they were in good standings in that culture or that community. But he goes there at that point and sends his followers off to go and get food. And before I begin reading in verse 7, I want you to look at this scripture in the way that Jesus was walking in a manner of wisdom Watching the way he was speaking with graciousness, seasoned with salt, and having an answer to her question. Look for the way that he is being a gospel present and a gospel voice in this passage because she's being presented the gospel in a unique way, designed for her. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Talking about himself. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw the water with and the well is so deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will, give, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So she really doesn't know what he's talking about still. But she's like, okay. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have five husbands. And the one that you have now is not your husband. Which you have said is true? What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. She's flabbergasted, right? Like, he must be connected to God, because how does he know this knowledge of her life, right? Our fathers worshipped on the mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So now the disciples come back. They marvel. They can't believe he's talking to a Samaritan woman. What do you seek? Why are you talking to her? The woman left with the water jar, went into town, and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I have ever did. Can this be the Christ? In this passage, it's demonstrating what it, me- what it looks like to be a gospel presence and a gospel voice. See, Jesus was intentional in his wisdom and his interaction with this woman. He was making the best use of his time, making sure he was in that spot at that moment with this woman. He was revealing the gospel through his presence. But he was also speaking truth over her by bringing out some really practical things, like the fact that she was asking for water, to use that as a physical demonstration. But also, he was being very blunt, Not shaming her and saying, that's right, you don't have a husband, right? He's calling her out. You had five husbands, and the one that you're living with now is not your husband, right? He's calling her out. Calling out her life in the way that's filled with brokenness. But even in that, you can just hear his graciousness. You can just see that it's seasoned with salt. Notice how he presents the gospel to her in a way that is unique to her and into her situation that she's at. There is a well at Jacob, and he uses that as a metaphor for who he is. Now, Jesus obviously benefits from the fact that he's God, okay? And the fact that he knew all things about her, hidden things before this interaction. But I mean, sometimes the Spirit of God really does do some cool things and reveal some cool things to us about other people, but not always. But you know what we have the ability to do that is just crazy, We can ask questions. Ask questions and actually be curious about someone. Learn from them. Hear from them. And hear what's going on in their hearts and in their life. And then see what the Spirit of God might do to direct the right words for you to say for that person. That you would point them to Jesus in a way that's gracious, seasoned with salt, ready to answer each person. And I know we're not Jesus, but we are equipped by Jesus. And we have an opportunity to speak personally and uniquely to those all around us in our lives. It will cost your time and your attention. And we really like both of those things. But as we care for people personally and uniquely, we're able to respond and give an answer flavored with salt, like Jesus. Just read the Gospels to see strategies towards this and what it looks like. You'll notice when Jesus speaks through many different types of communications. He talks about parables and stories and and sermons. He talks through object lessons and miracles and healing just to display all the beauty of the kingdom. And we can do the same. We can engage in the same. We can walk as a gospel presence and talk as a gospel voice. Now, if you're here tonight and you are a follower of Jesus, you have the option to dismiss these challenging words. You do. You can go along your week and your as and you go along your week and business as usual and change nothing. Or 
you can receive these words. You can allow them to challenge you, to convict you in your actions and your words so that we would be better equipped to display the hope and the beauty of the gospel in a world that so desperately needs it. But remember, if it was easy, we'd all be doing it, right? You cannot live or speak like Jesus without drawing and abiding in Jesus. You can't fake this. You can't muster up enough of your own strength. It's only as we abide in Christ with him that we're able to bear much fruit. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. So be challenged. But take this challenge to Jesus, to prayer. Ask him to continue to transform your mind, your action, your words, to display the beauty and the truth of the grace of Jesus. Both to those who are followers and those who are not. Now, if there's any of you here that would not consider yourself a Christian or a follower of God, all that was on my heart when I wrote this message was to say sorry. I'm sorry when this kind of love and care has not been your experience in the church or with Christians. But I want you to know, and I hope you believe, that is our imperfections as Christians does not reflect the, perfe the perfection that is Christ. We are not perfect at bearing his image. We are just these beggars that have found a source of food. And we're going to get it wrong. We get it wrong a lot. And my prayer is the kindness and the love of Christ who works through our church, through this community and the church as a whole, that you'll begin to discover increasingly this type of love and care that you deserve. That you aren't an agenda, that you're not one of our projects, that there is no shame, that it's just love. And then hopefully one day you'll love them back. And in our culture, it's just so divided, full of double talkers and slanders and gossip. And, and this is from both sides. Worship team, you can come up. As Christians, sadly, we do not always stand out or look any different. But what if we did? What if your friends, your family, and your coworkers saw the gospel on display in and through you? If they looked into your life and saw you walking in wisdom as a gospel presence, talking with graciousness, flavored, life-preserving, and personalized words as a gospel voice. Worship team, you can come out. What if? I would imagine if we did this, that we would display the truth of the gospel through our lives and that the way of Jesus truly would be good news. That's what would happen. We're going to go into one last song here to worship. Um, but before, I want to pray with you. And I want you to consider asking God to give you the strength and ability to do this. To walk this out. To live this out. 
to be a gospel presence, to be a gospel voice. I don't know what your life looks like. I don't even know what your last year looked like. But I'm guessing it's not what you expected. But in the midst of it all, Christ is moving and he is active and he's making the most of the time. And we have the opportunity to partner with the King of Kings. This world is in desperate need of hope. And those of us that carry the gospel in our lives and in our hearts, we have the opportunity to put that hope on display in this world. So will you stand and pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the hope that you bring in the gospel. I thank you that in Jesus we have something far more beautiful, far more important, far more meaningful than anything we could ever conjure up on our own. So forgive me, Father, when we forget who our identity is in. I thank you that our identity is found in you, that we are citizens of your kingdom, sons and daughters, holy and beloved and set apart, uniquely loved. And this is our truest identity. I thank you, Father. Remind us to live in that, to realize that everything changes in light of knowing that and the way that we interact with the world around us. But God, I confess in my own life that so often my words or my actions are short, they're unkind, and my heart's not filled with graciousness or compassion. And I do insist on my own way. And I pray for each of us here tonight that we would be willing to surrender and confess whatever it is that's going on in our lives. What has been hiding in our hearts that has stopped us from being able to display the gospel in our words and our action. What hurts, what frustrations or betrayals, what unkindness, the scars that are living there. Lord, I just pray for healing in that space that you would meet us in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our brokenness, and that you would reveal to us your kindness in the midst of these moments. So, Father, I pray that we will be set apart to do your good work, to love you, to demonstrate your love here, here in this church, in our communities, our homes, our workplaces, Father. You are so good, and you are so kind and so faithful. Thank you for never giving up on us. Lord, I just pray that we can live this out and have complete gratitude for you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.